You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Shepard's lost in a nebula. We go in with a shuttle. Flying with nothing but hope and a prayer. Are you really that crazy? Good to know. You launched an unauthorized rescue mission. I'm trying to win a war. And don't make enemies on your own side. It's another episode of I'm a Doctor, not a podcast, Cinema Geekly Star Trek podcast. Chief Petty Officer Anthony Lewis, uh, back on the bridge, back on duty, and so is Ben Knight, the Fleet. Are you Fleet Admiral? What are you again? I forgot your rank. I don't fleet, care. Fleet I'm Admiral. I'm a... <laughs> Subordination. Whatever. I, sh- <laughs> I shall send for Clem Fandango. <laughs> don't send... I've now seen the clip. I now, I now get yeah. it. Um, but... Yeah, yeah. After Ben, after your desertion last week, because mm. uh, I made it clear as Chief Petty Officer, I was, I was definitely able to transport you from New York uh, mm-hmm, yeah. back to Salford, but uh, you didn't ask. So uh, I just, I just took the, I just took the jet lag excuse as, uh, you know, as uh, insubordination and desertion. So you're lucky we've brought you back. <laughs> Uh, Fortunately, Chief Petty Officer, that's not a matter for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, mm. And and of course, the science officer. Uh, have you done any research, Aurora, into any scientific research into why you're sick at the moment? No, I'm just sitting in sick bay waiting to get better. <laughs> you're, the, you're like, look, I'm the science officer. I'm not the medical officer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here to talk another episode. Of Star Trek Discovery, but before we do that, Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the episode you weren't here to talk about. Uh, did you have any thoughts on uh, Choose Your Pain, the debut of uh, Hardcore Fenton Mud, Ash Tyler, uh, the f- well, freeing the Ripper, which sounds yeah, way more see, disgusting now that I say it like that. It really does. <laughs> um, right, so uh, slight tangent, as I often stop contributions on this show with um i was so yeah so flying um around places over the last week and i was reading an article before i went in fact the week before i went um about this uh phenomenon whereby if you watch films on airplanes apparently it's been studied and people report um heightened emotional responses to to, to movies mm-hmm. um which i have to say i had noticed before again i was just like off we were talking about when i had bronchial pneumonia when i was in iceland and actually flying back from there i watched toy story 3 and i was a wreck oh by my the end god of that. yeah I, i've definitely um, cried on movies in, in planes before too yeah that i mean i've often put it down to drunkenness but it turns out <laughs> even with people who aren't drinking uh so here's the thing i re-watched um uh, that episode of discovery whilst on the flight and <laughs> Uh, I mean, shut up. I, it was the air conditioning. That's probably what it was, I should think, that did that to my eyes. But um, 
oh, it was a little bit emotional. And then I suddenly mm-hmm. realised something. That other than the fact that it was a bit of a heartstring tug moment, that I actually realised I started to get a little bit of character investment, uh, which I did not see coming upon me, actually. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed it. Mud, I feel really dilemmatized about Mud because he is, I mean, he's unlikable. Of course he's unlikable. He's supposed to be unlikable. Um, I found him a little bit panto, but then again, he's kind of a bit panto anyway, isn't he? He always he always was. So I'm not, I wasn't overwhelmed by that. Um, Shazad Latif um, was surprising in the sense that, um, obviously, I, I know him from a different show, which we just referenced. Uh, those who haven't seen it, Taste of London is the, the, the comedy show that he's known from in the UK. Yeah. Um, and I genuinely didn't recognise him um, in Discovery. I mean, when you know it's him, you do go, oh, yeah, of course it is. But well, that's because um, he was behind all that Vok makeup for the first three episodes. <laughs> well, there is that, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm just slightly confused as to whether my response to that episode was was as a result of um, actually having a really, really stressful week, drinking a little bit too much, and then jumping on an airplane. I'm saying it might be. <laughs> Uh, Score-wise, I did think when I watched it at the end, uh, what would my score have been? Uh, uh, and I think I what did I come to the conclusion? I think I said it was a four, mm-hmm. um, which surprised me a bit because on the first watching I didn't enjoy it as much. The second watching I enjoyed it much more. Yeah, um, I so far it's actually been my favorite episode of the right the the series so far. I just I, I thought it was hitting those Star Trek notes and a lot of scenes yeah. that I missed in mm. that I wasn't seeing in previous episodes. And I, again, I was so happy, uh, but apparently not nearly as happy as the people in one particular scene where they were so excited that they did a Star Trek thing that they said, this is so fucking cool. Uh, presumably mm-hmm. yeah. to mean that this is so fucking cool. We actually did a Star Trek thing five episodes yeah. in yeah. where we'd like sat down <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah. like figuring out like things with our brains instead of our faces. Oh, it was the most Star trek episode by a long shot, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tons of it. Um, and, and enjoyable. In fact, I think for the first time, and your your score seals it, Ben, this was the first episode that I rated higher than everybody else. I think it gave it four and a half. Okay. Uh, okay. So I've been behind everybody else giving it lower scores. And, uh, See, it doesn't maybe... surprise me that you've gone higher on account of your. I, if you were to draw a kind of center of gravity for your your sort of Star Trek affections, mm-hmm. this one I imagine is yeah, it chimes with a lot of your kind of peak Trek, doesn't it? It came close, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it hit, it hit, it checked some of those boxes for me. Not all of them, but it, it checked some of them. And I did find myself very interested in a lot of characters. So. Uh, this week we're going to dive even deeper into some of those characters. Uh, although things, some some bits of this felt Star Trekky, but this this kind of went back to feeling more like Discovery's brand uh, mm. of Star Trek. I'm curious to see where it all goes. We'll talk about it. Season one, episode six, called Lethe. I presume it's pronounced Lethe. It could be pronounced yeah. Lethe as well. I've heard somebody say, but I'm pretty sure it's Lethe, like Leafy, but not <laughs> well, how, how was it pronounced before because it's it's a name we know from star trek isn't it and i can't uh, think whether it was pronounced as leaf or leafy um i think it's leafy um, i think it's leafy yeah i've heard some people say lethe but i don't know it's i'm gonna a, look up how it was pronounced originally in it's the, a greek word that literally means oblivion forgetfulness or concealment so yeah 
Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's that, but I don't know. We shall see. I'm going to have to brush up on my Latin as well because there's a whole episode title in Latin in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have to brush up on that. Uh, but here we go. On his way to broker peace deal with two renegade Klingon houses, Sarek is injured when a Vulcan extremist attempts to assassinate him. Uh, Burnham senses this, and Lorca agrees to help rescue him. Uh, meanwhile, Admiral Katrina Cornwell questions the decisions and others that Lorca has been making. Burnham enters a nebula in a shuttle with her roommate, Cadet Sylvia Tilly, and Ash Tyler. Burnham attempts to connect with Sarek's mind and finds him remembering the time that her application for the Vulcan Expeditionary Group was rejected. Uh, Sarek re- uh, reveals uh, that they would only admit one of his kind of Vulcan-y kids. <laughs> uh, and he chose Spock over Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock ultimately chose to join Starfleet, however, rendering Sarek's decision futile, and moot for that matter. Uh, Burnham helps Sarek regain his consciousness and activates a locator beacon. Lorca and Cornwell sleep together, but she is concerned by his paranoid behavior and plans to have him removed from command of Discovery. With Sarek unable to meet with the Klingons, Cornwell takes his place. However, the peace talks are actually a trap! And she is taken captive. It's a trap! It's a trap! Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben, what did you think of this week's episode of Discovery? Um, it, it was definitely a return to the, the, the new brand for sure. Um, and it was, it, it felt a little bit, um, it, it, it's something Star Trek's had for years and years where they get, you get an episode that you're kind of getting into and then it's got some really ham-fisted cuts in it that feel a bit like it's been brutally edited in order to make it fit the time slot. Um, and I was thinking it's a bit disappointing in some ways because of course in the, in the modern age of TV shows which you know, mainly online or whatever else, you'd think maybe give them the extra couple of minutes that you've cut out because you can live with giving them the extra couple of minutes these days. But um, Mm -hmm. that aside, um, again, it it was a solid episode. The the theory that's kicking around um, at the moment that uh, the Admiral may well be the, um, the, uh, the, the original series character of the same name, uh, is an interesting idea and actually somebody um on on, on the twitter uh, at trekfan4747 um posted uh, I, I couldn't find any pictures actually of the original character Leith, or Lethe or whatever um and yeah they really do look very similar mm. uh, right. so it, it's either episode. It is indeed. So that's either a, I mean, it's either a breathtaking coincidence or that is the same character. Um, so I quite enjoyed that. I mean, there's a little, there's, do you know something I really enjoy of this of this whole series? And we we mentioned it uh, after the end of the first two episodes. It's the fact that although um, there is uh, there's reference to to old track and obviously there's bits and bobs thrown in that will amuse and so on. They're not. They're not hammering the the Easter eggs or whatever else. So, I quite like the sort of the gentler references in this show, um, mm-hmm. and that that had that feel about it. Um, the episode itself, though, uh, it was nice to start being able to feel a degree of affection towards the characters. I thought um, so. The fact that you've now got someone who Burnham gets on 
with makes her easier to like. Um, and in fact, mm-hmm. there were a few moments in this episode where, you know, she softened a little bit, both in terms of Ash Tyler and in terms of um, uh, her flatmate's um, name has escaped me. Well, too, thank yeah, you. Um, yeah, so, you know, so there was that. Again, Lorca um, starts to become slightly more uh, more of a sort of um, multidimensional character. So I, I like it. I, I, I felt like simultaneously quite a lot went on and not a lot at the same time um the sarek stuff oddly enough i was i think it, I, I don't think i'm the only person to have felt this from reading some stuff this week he obviously he's you know big name in 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 canon and obviously i think most people were really excited when we were hearing about this show on paper to hear sarek being mentioned as being an influential character in it mm-hmm. if anything actually i'm finding the sarek segments feel a little bit less interesting yep. than mm-hmm some of the new work so i'm i'm kind of hoping they'll have the confidence now as this goes forward to you know to to rely less upon the pressing of the cannon button um so overall yeah uh, I, I won't give the score yet but i i thought this was a solid episode um and it it felt engaging without feeling um exhausting in the way that sometimes these things can when they try to be too interesting uh what about you aurora how did you feel about the episode I like this episode a lot as well. Um, I thought it was interesting that the episode started in a holodeck. <laughs> yeah, kind of. A hol- holodeck-ish thing, I suppose. Holodeck, yes. Um, I guess they didn't want to... Holodeck wanna... from a time after the next generation, where yeah. holodecks are much better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bit weird, yeah. Um, but I feel like I needed this episode because I think I, I've I've mentioned before that Burnham is a character that's not easy to like. And I, I think that's the intention of the show. Um, but sometimes it's it's easy to forget that she was raised as a Vulcan. And in this episode, you are reminded of that. And it makes sense. You know, every she represses her emotions a lot. And she always tries to be, like, very logical and serious. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good point, yeah. And I, and I needed to see this episode to, like, remind myself, like, yes, it makes sense that that's her attitude because she was raised by Vulcans. Um, so I, I, I felt like I needed it to like Burnham more. It's also hanging out mm-hmm. with Tilly, I think, is softening her, too. Yes. Like, yeah. Tilly's kind of like her conduit into becoming more, I guess, whatever you'd want to consider normal human behavior to be, I guess. Or right. At least right. it's kind of like her gateway into connecting with humanity, or at least mm-hmm. that side Tilly, of her. Tilly, Tilly still doesn't make sense to me as a character. She still feels like she's in a completely different show than everybody else. She does. She, she does. really does. Yes. Yeah, she's so I mean, bright. I'm guessing there will be some big reveal about her at some point, but... I mean, she she felt like the sort of Shakespearean um, villager type character or something, didn't she? Where, yes, my function here is to is to be the everyman. I have understood what these people around me are saying, and I'm going to repeat it in simpler right. language. Yes, which yes. I don't know if that's a device for for them trying to not frighten off the non Star Trek fans, or Maybe. if it's just a badly drawn character. I don't, I I've can't seen, quite figure her out yet. I've seen. I've seen like the explanation of oh she's the character that represents the the more hopey optimistic Star Trek future that is to come. Okay. Uh, and I guess you could argue that they weren't quite there really in Enterprise, although it felt it still felt more hope and optimisticy than this show. It felt like they were on that 
pathway already. And then for some reason in the timeline, discovery takes a big dip in the whole hope and optimism thing. But like, I've heard explanations that, Oh, maybe she's supposed to represent that. And I've heard, you know, simpler explanations of she's just a bright eyed and bushy tailed straight out of the, you know, straight out of the, uh, the science Academy or Starfleet Academy. But then why would they put her on discovery? That doesn't make sense. Does it? That's true. That's and so far she hasn't shown. Uh, and one thing we have seen is that Lorca likes to put people he thinks are going to be excellent in their positions on his ship, regardless of whatever their history is. Uh, he gave Ash Tyler uh, the, his head of security job after uh, basically being on a ship for less than a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I mean, he did kill way more Klingons than Lorca did in the battle simulation, even though he tried to lie to him about it. Uh, so, yeah, it is weird that Tilly is on the ship. She's fresh out of the Academy. And so far, we haven't seen anything that makes it imperative that she's on the ship. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I perhaps you're right, Ben. Perhaps there will be some sort of revelation. Um, we talked at length about the uh, Tyler is Vok theory mm-hmm. that, uh, by the way, still goes unanswered when people are like, hey, could you... Uh, if if they aren't the same character, do you think we could get the guy who played Vok to do some interviews? Because it's interesting. He had a very prominent <laughs> role in these first three episodes, and he's not in any of the cast pictures, and he, mm-hmm. he's not really listed in any of the credits, and Shazad Latif was in the cast pictures before he was even filming the episode. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's clear it, it is what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually, to be honest, they didn't really... If anything, they leaned into it this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where Lorca says stuff like, you fight like a Klingon. Yeah. And yep. the Tilly's like, I heard he fought six Klingons off by himself. And she's like, I've, Burnham's like, I fought Klingons. That's not possible. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. If anything, they're leaning into it. So now that's got people thinking it's a red herring and Tyler isn't Klingon uh, in disguise. Because <laughs> this episode, mm-hmm. they sort of they were sort of leaning into it. Like, oh, my God. What if, what if it's Tilly? Tilly's the Klingon? Yes. Wow. If that that is, would if that's the answer. I'm, I'm that not. would you know what? You know what though? She does feel like she's in a different show from everybody else. Yeah. If Tyler is Vok, I'll tell you what, in a couple of weeks he sure got one hell of a grasp on humanity and how to be a human. Like he yeah. blends in very well with everybody else. Yeah. Tilly's the one who doesn't blend in with everybody else. <laughs> she seems weird, out of place. Like, yeah, she's not out of place. Well, she is. That's because she's fucking Merida from that mm-hmm. Disney movie. That's true. Uh, <laughs> some people are questioning um, Brave. You talking about Brave? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people are. She does have her hair for sure. Uh, yeah. Some people are talking about um, maybe Lorca was replaced by mm-hmm. uh, by a Klingon. He's had those. There was an opportunity, bag, wasn't there? There was an opportunity. Yeah. Um, people were weirded out that Cornwell slept with Lorca, but like I don't. I guess some people thought maybe it was out of the blue, but I sort of got the by them talking. I mean, they had a moment where they're like, "Let's stop talking." As let's talk as friends. It's clear that they have a past. A past. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it didn't. It didn't really surprise me that much. And hey, sometimes an admiral got to get their jiggy on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> they're not prudes. <laughs> As Fleet Admiral Ben Knight would know. Yeah. They're not all prudish. Just just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she thought his behavior... I mean, so a lot of people are like, well, she thought his behavior was really weird. And it's like, well, to be fair, we've been watching this show since the beginning. And he's acted like that since we first met him. So I don't think he's a clean... I I still think it's Ash Tyler and 
and Vok are the same person, but uh, yeah, you know, we we shall There's see when it, chance. when it comes to that. So yeah, obviously the big reveal in this episode was how are we coping with this accent, by the way. Tyler's? Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah. I didn't even realize he was British at first, so... Yeah, he's a it, Londoner. It, it wasn't until you did, like, the Clem Fandango thing. And then, and then it also hit my mind that, oh, shit, he was also in Penny Dreadful as well. Yeah, I noticed he that. He was. I, yes, yes, I remember that in this episode, too. Yeah. Because I just, I just finished watching... I finally finished watching that show, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's when it hit me. So there is the... Yeah. Uh, but the big reveal in this episode is uh, that... This is like a thing that I guess was never really mentioned in canon. Uh, it was sort of talked about that Spock and Sarek had their differences because Spock was half human and that put them in conflict. But I think this episode is sort of saying that uh, Sarek uh, went to bat for Spock and he was like, eh, fuck off, old man, I'm going to Starfleet. And that's mm-hmm. what really that's what really divided them. Like he had these he had he basically had a Sophie's choice. And he picked Spock, and Spock was like, eh, I mean, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out of mm-hmm. here. Um, to be fair, though, at the beginning of this, I thought Burnham, to explain away why Burnham is never really mentioned going forward, I just figured he saw Burnham as his ward. He sort of protected her like a like a cat or something, mm. and then passed <laughs> her off to Starfleet. Like, I'm just watching this stray human for a while. Uh, I tried to teach her some tricks. They some took, some didn't. I don't know. Here you go. Give, give her, her some Katra. Katra <laughs> <laughs> nip. Um, anyway, uh, that's what I thought. But this, epi- if anything, this episode shows that Sarek actually cares deeply for her, and uh, it was actually the fact that it was actually a tough decision for him mm-hmm. uh, to go that route. Which makes it all the more weird when Jean-Luc Picard takes on mm. Sarek's Catra later on in Next Gen, and all he can seem to talk about is Spock. No, no limitation about you, Michael yeah. Burnham right. at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously but there he's could probably, have never been, but I'm guessing he's repressing it severely. Oh, perhaps. perhaps. <laughs> I mean, you can look. It's Star Trek. You can always Star Trek your way out of yeah. out of yeah. some of these situations. Look, I've been viewing Star Trek as one long story for a long time. And uh, I've done my best to forget that one time Spock talked about fighting Romulans with nuclear weapons. So uh, (laughs) that clearly has never happened. And uh, he must have just misremembered. That's what it boiled down to. I'm going to throw this out here again. Um, I'm mentioning it every now and again in case I pull off the biggest, um, longest range I'm right about. Something that I don't know if I am. Um, (laughs) The origin of the Borg is still notoriously sketchy, right? What, it's and not Viger? I'm pretty sure it's Viger. But go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen them in a whale in the same way. Maybe. Um, I'm, still, I'm still wondering whether the operations on board the Discovery and the um, eugenic stuff... And- and the the spore network and all of that they all have slight echoes to me of the borg a little bit, and yeah. i'm ju- mm-hmm. I, I just wonder if somewhere down the line there is a connection here between i know they've they've categorically ruled out the borg being in discovery at any point which makes sense because they sure. wouldn't be although um of course the undine may be because oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. they have the ability to, to shape shift and whatever else I keep forgetting that the game gave them a name. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's in canon now that that's their name. Is it um, okay. species eight four seven? Well, the game yes. the game is supposedly canon, isn't it now? So, um, the, but yeah, they'll, so they'll always be a Borg designated species number to me, Ben. I don't care about. I these know. Names. <laughs> You're such a traditionalist, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I I think that's. Um, I I just really am quite convinced that uh, mm. that there's some history. The, the The argument against it is that the the idea is that by the mid 24th century, um, it was suggested that the Borg were already centuries old, um, mm. and I think there's some suggestion as well. Uh, I think it was in Voyager, maybe. I think I, I want to say Voyager, where somebody managed to figure out that they existed in 1484 um, in old um, Earth parlance. Yeah, they wanted to do like they did like a lot of like Borg like lore in Voyager. They did, and I, I, I think they were saying something like that. But then you know, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, and sure. Black Ops mm-hmm. and all sorts of other stuff. And we know Black that there Ops. is a Borg. Black we know there's a absolutely, and there's a of course there is a Borg uh, um, or X drone uh, who's a crossover into wibbly wobbly, timey wimey Star Trek eventually as well in the form of Seven. Um, so. I'm not wrong, and as you say, you can always Star Trek these things out. I just think uh, the things happening on Discovery are related to the chronology of the Borg. Something mm. much further down the line, we'll get a clue to that. At this point, I feel like we're all fishing for stuff. Uh, And they, they, the stuff that on the surface felt so, like it made so much sense to me, like the whole Section Thirty One, like this is a Section Thirty One ship. This is all Section Thirty One related. That none of that seems to be holding any water for me anymore. I like, by that one. I, 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 yeah. right, it still feels like it, but if it is, it doesn't feel very Section Thirty One y to me. Like it feels like they're working hand in hand with the Federation out in the open. I think something. it's the infancy of Section Thirty One. I think they are yeah, effectively because yeah. Lorca was given carte blanche to do what he needed to do to win the war on the face of it because he was um, he's been proven to be ruthless and strategic beyond compassionate, which we discovered the reasons behind um, mm-hmm. in the last episode. Yeah. So he's been given the sort of autonomy that um, you know that simply Starfleet never did prior to that. Um, the the evidence I think that supports uh, th- this idea that it, it goes further than that is his crew, even Tilly for that matter, have access to the you know super top level um, classified material in uh, Starfleet's database. He, mm-hmm. She was told not to access it, but we know that it's something that simple crewmen on Discovery could have done if she'd chosen to do so. Right. Um, so they are obviously a cut above the rest of the fleet in terms of um, their uh, security and everything else it's not a big stretch especially if you take the registry number as being perhaps maybe even why they were given that designation sure. um, it just seems to me it's it's there are too many things that otherwise wouldn't make sense the the technology that is on their ship uh, whether it's holodecks whether it's you know whatever it is with the stuff we've seen is so far ahead of where they should be on the timeline that two things can happen either it's you know there's there's some wibbly wobbly time you I'm answer but they've said that they're not going to be doing that so let's exclude that. Um, what's left is the idea that this is the super classified technology that they have. If that's the case, then they did refer there's to only it as a super one weapon. Yeah. Well, so, so in which case, I, I just don't see how they can square what they're currently doing 
with any other theory than this is their Black Ops team. I don't think necessarily it is Section 31 at the stage. I think it's the precursor to Section yeah. 31. It mm-hmm. is simply the ship with that designation, and that's what ultimately led to the designation being chosen when they opened formally a Black Ops department, probably towards the end of the war, I suspect. I will note also that we did see they did go out of their way in the f- the second pilot, I guess, after the, the, first, the first episode after the <laughs> prologue episodes. Uh, they did go way out of their way to point out the black badges and then to mm-hmm. show you somebody with a black badge. Yep. But then they have never been spoken of or seen since then. I, I presume that they were shown for a reason and that, that that will come back at some point and we will learn why there are people with black badges and who those people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the black they, alert is relevant as well, isn't it? Right, because the right, black sure. alert is clearly only deployed when they're doing something um, outside of standards. Drive, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's, well, that's the time we've seen it used. But again, it's used. Um, I it mean, is, you could yes, but it's determine used for, like, from that it's same... being used when they're using technologies that are beyond the conventional Star Trek yeah, uh, Starfleet technologies. Yeah. Uh, so another question is Stamets. Uh, the guy we're seeing now, is he, when he connected to the Spore Drive thing, is he Mirror Universe Stamets that got switched with mm-hmm. real Stamets? Because he is, he is acting considerably weirder Yeah, he was weird. He was, he was uh, more uh, cheerful in this episode. Way more cheerful. Isn't it weird? Yeah, I like yeah. new version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it extends into next the next episode, too. There is some clips for the next episode where he's uh, looking even stranger. I mm-hmm. guess, or behaving even more strangely. Now, you could argue that just hooking himself up to it, like, did it did change something in him? But yeah. obviously they did do that tease at the end of the episode where he walked away from the mirror and there was the other him still standing in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And then he, that that one walked away. Yep. Uh, so there is that. Do we think that maybe he's Mirror Universe him? Like, they... They said for sure. They confirmed that they're going to do something with the mirror universe. So, mm-hmm. uh, is that what it is? I don't know, Roar. What do, I, do you, where do I you think sit on all a, these weird theories we've got? I think it's a possibility. I mean, I think that they made it pretty obvious with what happened last episode. But, um, mm. but yeah, I he was. I don't know if cheerful is the right word. It he was more like laid back. That's he was less of a dick, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he was using words that I know that the one that we know <laughs> wouldn't use. <laughs> so, that is um, true. so yeah. Um, have you guys heard? So this is my big theory. I don't know if you guys have heard the latest on the why the Klingons look like why how the Klingons look theory. Cool. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of fascinated by this one. It sort of it sort of makes some sense, right? Uh, the idea that they look at, I mean, because Ben, you pointed out that there's some people who photoshopped like the traditional Mm -hmm. Klingon hair and facial hair, and they look strikingly similar to Klingons, like that we know. Uh, So there's this theory that the the Klingons who, like the augmented Klingons that we've come to learn were augmented Klingons in the original series, Mm -hmm. uh, they exist, uh, but the reason these Klingons look like how they look is a result of like the, like it's something to do with like the augment fire. It's, it's also part of why uh, Takuvma's movement is the way it is. So somebody was explaining that 
the augment virus, instead of making them like super soldier Klingons, kind of just made them weak and look more like humans. Mm. Mm. And like a bit of ape are, seems to have crept into the DNA, doesn't it? If you look at the hair. Yes, and 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 by the way, that could also explain why there's some deviations in Klingon looks going forward as well. Mm. Like why some of them have lesser defined ridges or. Uh, and we've seen that with like Bolana, but I'm also talking about like uh, the the bad guy from like Star Trek Six, or Christopher yeah. Plummer, or whatever, mm-hmm, has very mm-hmm. tiny ridges and stuff like that, uh, and has more human uh, facial features and things like that. But uh, it's it's so it's kind of like this idea that they blame, especially Takuvma's group, but Klingons in general tend to blame humanity for this instead of, of course, blaming themselves for stealing the technology and then experimenting. Right. But, uh, like, they blame humans. So they took away all of the human things, like their facial... Like, they got rid of their hair, they got rid of their facial hair. Like, that's where the remain Klingon comes from, because their genetics mm. have been muddied by this human crap, and it's making their race weak, and it's making them look like humans, and they want to remain, you know... They want to make Kronos great again. They want to make Kronos yeah. great again. They want to remain Klingon. They feel like it's the the human genetics are creeping in and uh, ruining. So, I mean, there is this thought that no, like that being said, we saw Klingons in Enterprise though, and they looked like Worf. Right. Yeah. Uh, they don't look like they don't have like the slightly more elongated heads. They don't really have the weird kind of Vulcany, humany, alieny hybrid ears. Mm-hmm. That they've got going on here, um, it still doesn't quite fit, but it makes that at least makes some sense—a little bit more sense than uh, this is just how the Klingons look now and deal with it. Uh, in in universe, that does make a little bit of sense. Like there is some justification there as to why they would want to remain Klingon because they feel like they're they feel like. Uh, white nationalists who feel like the white people are going to be gone in a couple of decades or whatever. Uh, and much like the white nationalists, white they start with the shaved head, then comes the weird handlebar moustache and goatee, <laughs> oh, and then eventually right. comes the complete lack of interest in personal grooming, and so you get the hair. Uh, you know, you can see where, yeah. where they're going. Yeah. Can totally yeah. see where they're Sooner going. or later they'll start listening to Guns N' Roses. I mean, you, see, you know how this goes. <laughs> Apparently, um, one in a million was just a joke. Anyway. But yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> but I think I. I feel like I'm getting. It's it's still crazy to me how much of a mystery where a lot of this is heading is, which I like. I like some mystery in my trek, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just surprised at how little I've been able to put together, and I'm yeah. not sure if that's because they're doing a great job of hiding the pieces and strategically placing them. Or if they're just telling me that there's a completed puzzle at the end, but they have no idea what they're doing or where they're headed. Mm. This is about uh, the writing, though, isn't it? And the confidence yeah, yeah. you can have in the writing team. And we know that there were yes. changes um, when they were sticking this series together. We know we've already had big shifts in the power dynamic in terms of writing. And so mm-hmm. I, I, we're really not going to see... I, I'd be, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like an American horror story territory where it starts and they have no idea how it actually is going to end. I'm pretty sure they've got a, a pretty straightforward roadmap, but it's how they get there and at what point they choose to introduce things that I think we're mm-hmm. just going to have to sit back and hope that they get it right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Aurora, any final thoughts on this episode? Do you guys think that um, Lorca knew that the Admiral was going into a trap? Oh, so that's a good question. 
Hmm. Uh, did he knowingly let her go? Yeah, because um, you know she she threatened him to you know he's she, when she comes back she's going to uh, submit him to psychological evaluations and if he passes he can oh, get oh. his chair back. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, because she shit all over him for going after right. Sarek without saying anything, without going to Starfleet first. Yeah, and when she gets when she gets taken uh, when she gets held hostage by the Klingons. Uh, his first thing is, you know, Saru comes to him and he's like, well, let's contact Starfleet first and see right. what they want us to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Saru's like, what? No, we should just go after her, right? Isn't that what we do? And he's like, no, nah, let's... So, But it's so great that it could be played either way. It could be either played way. as he's doing it on purpose. Right. Because he maybe sees her as maybe a threat or maybe he's just taking what she said to heart. Yeah. And even though it happened to be you know, the sword is dangling over her head. You know, he's taking what she said to heart. Like, maybe we can't just, you know, go out and do this. Maybe I should, you know, try to do it by the book a little bit better or whatever. Yeah. So it does the whole may fortune favor the bold admiral line, doesn't right. it? That, that does yes, sound yes. a bit a bit threaty. Right. It does. Right. Yes. It does indeed. Um, That's a good are... question. I don't know. Do I, mm, I can't decide whether <laughs> I do think he knew now. It did have the. There was that moment. I couldn't quite put my finger on it when we watched it, but there was that moment where I kind of thought, mm, "You're being an asshole." Yeah. But yeah. You may be right. Maybe he he wasn't just reacting, being an asshole. Maybe it was. Yeah. I see how this is going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm. We should note, uh, by the way, that this episode features the first mention of Constitution class starships, and specifically <laughs> the Enterprise by name gets name dropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this episode was by the way do you think that was a swipe at the JJ verse movies there is a talk mm-hmm. that Tilly and Burnham are having in their by the way ridiculously great disco shirts I love <laughs> yeah. that it's canon that they have shirts called that have disco on it clearly the ship just refers to the ship as disco mm-hmm. I think they got them amazing. in the discovery um, gift store there must yeah, be one on that ship <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they're having a discussion about you know, Tilly advancing her career and she's, you know, just talking about how much work you want to put into it. Uh, but there's a line at the end where she is basically talking about how she can go from, you know, cadet and work her way up to captain. But her last line is, you know, just like that cadet to captain, which was what happened to Kirk in the JJ movies. He went from oh, cadet yeah. to captain in one film. Uh, wondering <laughs> if that was uh, like a fun shot there. Uh, this episode also includes, the first footage of Amanda Grayson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, chronologically, this is obviously before her TOS. Uh, I thought she was appearance. pretty good as well. Yeah, yeah, I liked her. Yeah. Um, she's, in fact, she's probably, I mean, we, we never really, it's, it's not like a character. I was going to say, like, should we rank the Amandas? But she's never really <laughs> gotten, like, Sarek's second wife that he had in, like, TNG had, like, more screen time than any of the Amandas thus far, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to, to to say where she fits on the scale. But I liked her. I thought she yeah. was good. But she, and she better. didn't jar. And that's that's the thing, the danger with a character like that, as with Sarek, as with anybody else that s- slips into this, is that the risk mm-hmm. is they will, will jar so much that they'll take you out of it. And I didn't yeah. think she did. I thought she was... Um, you immediately knew who she was. The the sort of general manner and demeanor was exactly what you'd hope it to be. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they didn't kind of ram it in your face too much, which I thought was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, the Vulcan. We've seen Vulcan extremists in 
mm-hmm. in I think in Next Gen and in Enterprise, and clearly in Enterprise, they had like a like a four episode mini arc mm-hmm. about uh, Vulcans, although they were being manipulated as well by Romulans. But uh, I, th- I actually I thought it was a, a more interesting Enterprise tie was that he appeared to use the like the injective explosives, which was like a thing in an episode of Enterprise as well when they came across a religious extremist group and they had uh, their bodies were weaponized and they would detonate them by injecting themselves. And they basically looked like how that Vulcan looked. So I'm wondering if it was, yeah. I'm clearly must've been like a nod to that or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not a lot of, there were far more, Ben, you missed out last week. There were far more name drops. Mm-hmm. Although we got the Enterprise. Oh, I know. Week, but last week they were name dropping like Robert April and Pike and uh, they were. Matt Decker. They yeah. went with yeah. Matt yeah. Decker. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, they went. Thing is, whenever I hear the word Decker in, in the world of television and film, my brain immediately goes to Nightbreed, which is obviously completely the wrong thing. Yeah. I. Uh, so we got to do the scores. But before we do the scores, I almost completely forgot about thinking Think Geek. Uh, for helping to sponsor the show. Now imagine how bad it would have felt if I didn't plug ThinkGeek or CinemaGeekly.com slash ThinkGeek or going to CinemaGeekly.com and clicking the ThinkGeek link at the top of the page. Uh, so Halloween is nearby. I went I don't have past any... their store. What, what's that? I went past their store. Sorry to interrupt. ThinkGeek had a store, which I didn't realize they had stores. Really? Um, they a store? Was it in New York or do they have it was. near you? Wow. Yeah, it was in New York. Um, oh, what's the name of the little square where they've got all the little... Uh, the, the, um, the World Food Market thing—I can't remember what it's called. Is it Tiny little Times Square. No, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. No, um, <laughs> outside the front of Macy's, anyway. Uh, and so, yeah, it's basically opposite Macy's, and yeah, it's a ThinkGeek store, and that was really cool. That's I took awesome. a photograph of it. I was going to send it to you, and then I forgot. Um, but yeah, and I thought, well, I bet I could find some interesting things in there. But I think if I lived in the United States of America and wanted to buy things from ThinkGeek, I can think of a better way of doing it that would. You know, throw a few bucks in the direction of my favorite uh, podcast network. That's right. I mean, I already gave away the links, but I'll do it again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so we're approaching Halloween, or as it is known in the UK, Grindelofty. Uh, is it, uh, that's what it is, right? <laughs> that's not what it's called in the UK. Um, I made that shit up a long time ago. I, don't, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it has stuck with me all these years. Um, Play it out at the end of this. Call it out. We don't have any, I don't actually have any Halloween-themed Star Trek items to, to pitch at you, but uh, look, when Halloween is over, and it will be in a couple of days, uh, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to uh, Christmas. And what better way to get your early holiday shopping out of the way than getting one of those ridiculously ugly holiday sweaters that everybody loves to wear, right? I'm sure we all have one. Yes. I literally do, right? bought two yesterday, <laughs> one of which was a Star Wars one. Nice. Ah, well, this is uh, this is an awesome Star Trek: The Original Series uh, holiday sweater, which is in fact hideous looking, uh, featuring the Starfleet insignia, little <laughs> Enterprises, and of course a checkerboard pattern for some reason, and snowflakes. What better way to get into the <laughs> wait, wait, wait? Do, do, do you mean do you mean sempering liberals or do you mean um, frozen water? <laughs> no, no, water? no. I mean I mean actual frozen frozen oh, okay. frozen water. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, $29.99 from the fine folks over at ThinkGeek. Head on over to CinemaGeekly.com. Click the ThinkGeek link at the top of the page. Or uh, head on over to CinemaGeekly.com slash ThinkGeek. Do all your shopping. Uh, Pick up one of these 
ridiculously hideously looking uh, sweaters. Actually, you know, as far as I, like, I would the imagine, ugly though, sweaters, if you need go, one of those bad. for Christmas, if you need one of those for Christmas and you live outside of the US, they do have a surface mail uh, which you can use. Uh, it just takes a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, uh, when you say a little bit longer, it do you know? Do you know I don't know, like, maybe like maybe between now and Christmas. I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> it could take some time. Yeah, probably. So get on there now and order some stuff. And yes, delivery yes. delivery times may vary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Aurora, what would you give Leafy? I, I'm going to give it a solid four. Okay. Ben, how about you? What would you give it? Uh, same here, exactly. Solid four. Oh, I gave it a four, too. Holy Yay! crap. Oh, my God. We're on the same page. That's the first <laughs> time this this season. Uh, six episodes in. We're only three episodes away from the uh, the mid-season break. Did we talk about the fact that it had been renewed? Did you cover that last week? Oh, no. We have not mentioned it. Uh, the news oh, yeah. broke right after we recorded, actually, that uh, they confirmed season two is mm-hmm. happening. Uh, They're yes. apparently very happy. With the numbers, although those numbers are not made public. It's ongoing uh, mission to last longer than Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's uh, two seasons down, two to go. Yeah. Tie. <laughs> uh, so they've... Uh, uh, and I've seen some people arguing over how good the show is doing. Uh, quite frankly, there's really no way to know. There is a place that manage. That that they do have numbers out for Discovery, and they're always near like the, the they're like in the top three, uh, always. But they're basically using they they do not have access to Netflix's numbers or CBS All Access's numbers. Although they Netflix kind of, are about to publish theirs from next year, is it? Are they? Adding, I, yeah, I, Netflix's numbers and Amazon Prime and Hulu, and I can't remember who the others are. Well, like subscriber are, numbers. Well, no, they're having their episode view numbers to the. Oh, they rarely um, ever do oh that. come on! What's the what's the rating scheme called? Uh, the one in the US. Um, Nielsen. Yes, they're adding them to Nielsen next year. That's crazy. They rarely yeah. ever. They rarely ever release their numbers. Well, I think about the, I think the point is that um, if they are to be taken seriously in terms of investors, in terms of talent. Um, they, there's only so long you can last on, you know, on the idea of, well, hey, look, you know, people are talking about it, or we say it's doing really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm, well, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, on a tiny, like, micro, nano version of that, I understand that because if you've ever tried to sell advertising, as in sell direct advertising to someone on a podcast network, the difficulty you've got is no podcast should ever release its figures. No one ever does. But you do have to be able to find ways of presenting um, what you're doing and giving it a context in terms of the sort of market they might be advertising to. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm not surprised, actually, that the time has finally come. You look at the money that Netflix and all of these companies are now spending on production. I mean, Netflix are now spending more than a lot of the big production companies. Um, And that's not sustainable if you don't have the ongoing commercial support. They've got to get it somewhere. They mm-hmm. turned out some sort of ridiculous number like $10 billion yeah. over the next year or two on original productions, which is like just blowing my mind that's so much money to spend on your on your stuff. But it all, it all looks really Especially good. Especially when some of the... it involved yeah. Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. They could film those Adam Sandler movies on iPhones. Like, they don't need to spend that much on those movies. But uh, I mean, the word on the street is that they also paid a big chunk of star trek discovery's production budget so yeah uh netflix did so um 
Yeah, the the metrics that I saw for Discovery were really from a firm that does they try to gauge um a like a television show product like the desire for it in the general public. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how many people are talking about it on social media? How many people are looking at articles about it? How many people are watching clips or trailers on YouTube? How many people are downloading it illegally from torrent sites, which does not give you an accurate number of how many people are paying to watch it on a paid mm-hmm. subscription service. Uh, but in terms of how many people are talking about it online, how many people are watching clips, how many people are uh, torrenting the uh, the episodes, Star Trek, in that regard, Star Trek Discovery is usually in the top three of these shows currently out. And there's uh, another clue as well. One thing CBS did tell us is that the... Um, the, the the so the, the first week the pilot week and then the, if you like the second pilot uh, um, they both resulted the first week caused the biggest spike they've ever had in new subscribers to the CBS on demand service or whatever it's called mm-hmm. um, and then it remained you know they had a, a steady build the following week but then when the series started in in proper they were expecting another slight bump they doubled I think or near enough doubled the subscribers huh. that they got on the pilot week that is a very strong sign because what that would suggest I would imagine is that an awful lot of people signed up to get it or watched it on television and were convinced and basically then you know once you're a few episodes in you can decide whether you're going to put the money down or carry on torrenting mm-hmm. it or whatever else so I mean in terms of I mean it's already probably paid its way I would have thought for CBS yeah. oh yeah uh, and Netflix also, when they did one of their quarterly uh, subscriber announcements, announced a, a whole shitload of new subscribers to their already gigantic base. And while you cannot exactly, like, they didn't provide any numbers to suggest that, you know, what kind of impact Star Trek had on it, they felt the need to include Star Trek in the list of shows as, like, part of the draw mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. So, at least in Netflix view, it's a show at least worth them plugging. Like they feel like we should mention it because they're, I don't know, they're either proud of it or they, or it is actually helping to draw in people or they just feel like it's a good investment and they need to mention it and keep bringing it up. It looks like they're riding, they're riding high again though right now. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've experimented with so many, to be blunt, quite shoddy uh, ideas, and I mean the shoddy films that they've made have uh, some of them have just been utter utter train wrecks. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I mean, Stranger Things was, I I personally think a disproportionate success. I don't think it is um, anywhere near as uh, high quality as people think it is. But eh, I've been wrong before. Um, but they've got a number of products like right now, which are whether it, whether you individually like them or not, they are massive draws. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, you can't you yeah. can't really deny the popularity or whatever. I didn't know what the Google connection was to Stranger Things. Um, they they've got a kind of Google pop up thing uh, in New York at the moment, which is you know it's hmm. basically just a big showroom for you know because they've got quite a few new products out at the moment um and they've got a whole section of it which is um the lounge from stranger things it's the you know from the house um Mm -hmm. and you know it's a little ar experiment thing you know so you can use i don't know if it was lens or what what service it was but whatever it was it superimposes um kind of cute uh sort of emoji versions of characters from stranger things uh into the scene around you kind of interact with them um but I was reading, there was a, a bit of blur, I, I, there was a huge queue to go and do it, and we, we did it, so I didn't get a chance to read everything, but um, 
they've got some connection or other with the production of Stranger Things as well. Google are quite squarely behind it. It's interesting because they are spending a lot of money on TV promotion right now, TV and film, not just their advertising, but I've seen it pop up in everything from, um, I gather there's quite a lot of product placement in Stranger Things. Um, in, mm-hmm. in fact, yesterday I watched from the new series of uh, the new season of Will and Grace. Um, I've noticed that everyone on that is using a pixel or a pixel book and everyone's got a Google <laughs> Home. And, you know, uh, they are spending a lot of money getting their products in things at the oh, moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so are Microsoft. If you, I mean, whenever you see a laptop now in, in half the sort of really modern productions, most of the time it's a Surface Pro mm-hmm. or a Surface. Um, it's a new... uh, before we leave, uh, Ben, did you get a chance to see the Orville this week? I did. Yeah. yeah so I, w- I watched it as well. Uh, they, depending on who you asked, uh, they either <laughs> completely ripped off a story from uh, Black Mirror, or if you're Seth MacFarlane, he says that he wrote this episode long before that Black Mirror episode ever uh, premiered, or he had. This it's not really, and it's not a new idea, though, is it? Social media voting up and down and whatever else. I mean, you could go back yes. a lot further than Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, you could go back actually, really, to probably about thirty years ago and find dystopian ideas about what would happen if we had an absolute democracy uh, it's yes. you know it's old news yeah, i thought it was it a was great a, episode yeah i it was it, so it was my it, 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 it's not my favorite that they've done this season but i enjoyed it for the most part uh i mean look it's it's really easy to hate on the whole idea of a society where we can just upvote or downvote people for their behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this guy bumped into me on the sidewalk. You know, I just pressed the downvote button for that fucker. You know, screw that guy. But uh, the whole idea of the episode is, at least on this world, if what is it, if you get like a million downvotes or whatever, you get like arrested or something. Yeah. Or if you do something, like if you uh, in, in this instance, one of the crew members was grinding up against a statue Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. to be funny and people had like their phones out and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's grinding up against the statue. And you have to, but well, like he to... says, he doesn't even do sex like that. He was just dancing. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't even do uh, They point. thought he was being, they thought he was being lewd and he's like, no, I was just dancing. I don't even do sex like that. Was yeah. his exact line. Um, but there's, um, uh, but yeah, he got like a million down votes and then you have to go on an apology tour and with a PR to, agent instead of a lawyer, a PR, which I think sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a PR agent instead of a lawyer. And at the end of each show you do on the Apology Tour, people get to continue voting. And if you get 10 million downvotes, then you basically get your brain scrambled. They, like, mm-hmm. turn you into, like, a vegetable. Okay. I and feel like you're, just, you're like you're describing hell to me. Yeah. What was the, hang on, what was the medical description from the from the chief medical officer? Hell. Uh, you become no, no, she... <laughs> no. The other one. Sorry. Um, what did she get? She, she, um, she gave a really nice scientific description, and it involved the word vegetable, but I can't remember what it was now. Yeah, I don't remember either. It was. But... It was just the way she delivered the, you know, the prognosis. He'll become a whatever it was vegetable. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's. I, uh, I like yeah. the Orville. I think they're hitting oh, every fucking note right now. They really are. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, uh, and they've. They've. It feels like every episode they're getting less and less away from jokes, and when they do do the jokes, they tend to be placing them better. Yes, they don't. Exactly. They don't feel. They don't feel quite as out of out of place. 
Yeah. Um, and I love that every now and again they toy with, you know, some of the tropes that Star Trek sort of brought up. I mean, everything oh, the, from like the, the, the... the costume stuff when they were going to the planet that was suspiciously like 21st century Earth. The costume yes. stuff, I mean, was a great call back to uh, Voyage Home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was just superbly no. done. Uh, I mean, and, and look, and they've they've been doing this since like the first episode or whatever, where they've got like the villain who isn't standing perfectly in center frame on the view screen, mm-hmm. where he's just like, "Oh, that's bugging me. Could you just stand like in the middle of the like take two steps?" There you go. Yeah. See that uh, joke. See that joke. The joke felt like um, Seth MacFarlane Family Guy type a humor, too- yeah, and it yeah, felt yeah. yeah, just a little bit too much. Kind of oh, let's have a cut scene here or whatever. Um, they did. They did. Now they did do a really good one a couple of episodes back where. Uh, you know, he's like open hailing frequencies, and he's like, "This is Captain Ed Mercer," and she's like, "I actually haven't opened got him yet. He hasn't picked up yet." Yeah, okay, <laughs> like, I've got him now. Like, yeah, he's he's just like open the frequencies and then starts talking, and she interrupts with like, "Oh, they haven't picked up yet," and he's like, yeah. "Oh, okay." <laughs> he couldn't do his speech like right away. Uh, I just love the, the like little little things like that, which are fun, but they. They're doing way more traditional track story of the week. Here's your lesson. Here's and the production um, is so TNG as well. I mean, the whole thing yeah, is it's it, very good. It's it's horrible nostalgia on the one hand, but it, I mean, we oh, yeah, live in a world yeah. where Stranger Things gets a free pass for that. So why the hell shouldn't this show? Um, yes. it's it's it feels kind of glorious. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's helping it is that against the the darker, grittier Star Trek we now have. Um, it's kind of nice to have something new in the in the TNG mold. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it feels slightly comforting. I tell you what, I had a great, great night the other night because I had Star Trek Discovery followed by two episodes of The Orville, which I'm, of course, watching legally in some way that I haven't... Anyway, bygones. Of course. Um, <laughs> and I had two episodes of Red Dwarf to catch up on from the new series. I had a great night. <laughs> of course, you. Of what you meant to say was that you caught up on all the episodes of The Orville while you were staying in New York City. That, of course, would have been what I would have said had I thought about that quicker. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's what that was. And then I watched Red Dwarf when I returned to the UK. Otherwise, that would have been a problem. Anyway, sure. point, point is, that was fun. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's the episode for this week. Uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com, check out the archives of the show, find us on iTunes and Google Play Music. Just search for I'm a Doctor, not a podcast. Hit subscribe. And uh, we'll come back next week with another awesome TOS-sounding episode title for Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 7. I've got to go. It's called... the feds. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What? The feds are here, man. They heard. The feds are here? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's it. going on. No, it's the Federation Against Copyright <laughs> Theft. They can wait. Ah, sorry. Ah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> season 1, Episode 7, called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. <laughs>